ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 26 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. ComC reached an incredible milestone during this year's national by processing their 100 millionth item. ComC looks forward to offering safe and easy trading card consignment for years to come and continuing to focus on fulfilling their mission to optimize everyone's enjoyment of the hobby. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards on all platforms. To learn more about the exciting changes being made at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. It is November 6th when I'm recording this episode, and it's probably somewhere around November 9th when you're going to be listening to this, something like that. And I came to the realization that one of the projects that I've been working on all year is going to be coming to an end within the next couple of weeks, and that is the Topps On Demand Sports Illustrated set, the Topps X Sports Illustrated set. It was a 70-card set that was released two cards per week throughout much of 2021, And I thought maybe this is going to be a popular set. It turns out it's not really all that popular. The only redeeming thing that I've realized so far from a resale perspective is the randomly inserted parallels that they included. And those have sold pretty well for me. I've had several of the out of 70s and some of the the lower serial numbers as well. Those have done well. The, The regular cards themselves are cool. I love that I've got a set from my own collection, but they're not very popular from a a resale perspective and that is an experiment that i did this year that didn't work out so well um so far we'll see how it goes but that is going to be ending which means that i'm going to have some cash flow that is freed up once i no longer have to purchase two of those those cards every week i was purchasing a five card bundle at the same time i've also since the beginning been buying uh, a five pack of the tops wwe living set and now with the recent announcement that Topps is going to be losing the WWE license, at some point in the next few months, that set is also going to end. And that will be another 60 bucks a week or so that will be freed up. And so as I look towards 2022, I'm starting to do some planning. And now I've got another $125 a week or so in, in purchasing power that I'm going to be able to use towards other collections, maybe some other experiments. I've got a couple ideas in my mind that I'm, I'm toying with, and I'll be sure to share those as I kind of ultimately make a decision on where I want to go from some experiments on acquiring new inventory in 2022. This year was kind of a test of several of the different tops on-demand products. Some have worked out better than others, but we'll see where 2022 leads. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that. That is something that I've been thinking about this week. These on-demand sets coming to an end in the next couple months. And what am I going to do with those dollars going into 2022? Well, today I've got a guest for you who has a great show of his own. 
Jeremy Lee does sports cards live every week, and he, he does that on YouTube. It's a live show. He's got guests, and he's built a fantastic community, and I wanted to bring him on to, to give you guys some exposure to him if you are not already aware of Jeremy. And so he has built a great community. He does a lot of good things. His interviews are, are very in-depth and he gets some good content out of those folks that he's interviewing and I wanted to give you a, ch a chance to hear from him and maybe go check out his show if you haven't done so already. We're going to get into that interview after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors, and they break new products every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. They also have a great Facebook community, and you have can go watch their stuff both live on YouTube and live in their shop in Knoxville, Tennessee. At their shop, they've got a full selection of packs, singles, and all kinds of great stuff. Go check them out at udogcollect.com. Check them out at their shop in Knoxville and tell them the Wax Pack Hero sent you. Hi, this is Greg from the Rebel Base Card Podcast, and you are listening to Mike Summer on the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Jeremy Lee, welcome to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Well, thank you, Mike Summer. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you tonight. I appreciate you, you taking a, a few minutes to come on and chat a little bit. I first got exposed to you and what you're doing with Sports Cards Live. Uh, when you were on Dr. Beckett's show, it was months and months ago. It was a it was a while ago, but that was where I first learned about you. Help me understand, or let's talk a little bit about the origin of your show. What was the the impetus behind going live with Sports Cards Live? Yeah, sure, man. I'm happy to tell the story. And let me just say, you mentioned Dr. Beckett. I mean, what a what a privilege it was to get to be a guest on his podcast. I know you've had that same experience. So we're uh, we're Dr. Beckett podcast brothers now. And uh, and and how cool is that? It, Being yeah. kids that grew up in the '80s, '90s, reading his magazines. But um, no, I thank thanks for asking. Uh, it, it's a it's a pretty simple story, actually, Mike. What happened was, I was. I was looking to sell some cards. I wanted to sell some vintage hockey cards one night, some graded ones. And I didn't know, I don't like selling on eBay. I don't like the whole process. And I thought, you know, maybe the best way to do it would just be to, to stream live and just show cards to the camera and let people know how much they are. I just need the right audience. So I, I found a Facebook group called like vintage hockey collectors. And I asked the moderators if I could do it. They said, yeah, go ahead. Just don't show anything after 1989. I said, no problem. I went live for about an hour, 45 minutes. This was in March of 2020. And I had a great experience. I sold a bunch of cards, had a whole bunch of engagement with the uh, with the viewers. And at the end of it, I was getting messages being like, hey, that was a lot of fun. You should do it again. I thought, okay, that I should. And now I've got a bunch of modern cards I want to sell. I couldn't sell them in that group. And there's like a million modern Facebook groups for hockey cards. So I couldn't decide which one to go to. And then I thought, hey, maybe I should start a Facebook, a Facebook group that's just for live stream selling and trading cards. And I thought, oh, well, that should be called Sports Cards Live. So I went to Facebook and I, I tried to get the group name and it was available. So I locked down the group name. And then I thought to myself, you know, okay, that's a great name. I wonder if YouTube is available, if the name's available there. So I went to YouTube, the name was available and I locked down the channel name on YouTube. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some sort of show. It's going to be called Sports Cards Live. And I don't know what it's going to be. And then I and then I realized that you know some of the content that I really enjoy is that interview style. So I thought to myself, well, I want to come out with a bang. 
So I'm going to invite somebody who I think will help me uh, resonate with both the hockey community and the basketball community. Those were the two that I'm, I was most interested in. And Carvin Chung, who, uh, you know, the creator of Exquisite, well-known guy in the hobby, is a, yep. is a great friend of mine. We've been friends since uh, about 2007. And uh, so I called him. I said, hey, Carve, I'm going to do this show, Sports Cards Live on YouTube. Do you want to be my guest? I'll interview you. We'll, we'll see how it goes. He's like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. So we did it. That was April 18th of 2020. And um, that was the first episode. Now, it went pretty well. It was fun. But after that, I realized, well, now what's what's going to follow it next, right? You can't just go dark and just do nothing. You have to you have to keep on getting better. So I thought, well, I'm just going to set up some interviews with different people. And uh, and that's really how it happened. It really was born out of me wanting to sell some cards. And it just turned into to this long format interview uh, show. So you talked about the wanting to sell cards as being one of those foundational parts. So has that been a part of your collecting background? I mean, growing up collecting or, or whatnot, but has selling online, selling at shows, has that been a part of your you know past collecting history? It, it has been, but not my whole. So I've been collecting, literally like collecting complete sets since like 1982, I, I would, if I go back to, yeah, 1982 is when I think I started building my first complete sets of Opeachy hockey. And I, I never really sold cards until um, right after high school, I opened up a card shop in Winnipeg with my, with my mom and my stepdad and my brother. And, um, and we started buying and selling and to our opening inventory was partial, was partially my collection. So I did two sets every year. So you know, I kept the rookies and from one set and then I put a complete set on the shelf and I took the commons and we could fill in sets for people. But then, you know, I didn't really, we only were open till 94. I didn't start really uh, being a dealer or a, or a seller until 2005 when I was at a card show, the Toronto Expo and a buddy of mine there, he said to me, he had a booth. He said, Hey, if you watch my booth while I go walk around, you can put some cards in one of the showcases and, and just hang out. I said, oh, that sounds good to me. I was tired. I wanted to sit down. So I had my first taste of being a, a card show vendor at the Expo in 05, and I was hooked. I ended up partnering with him in the booth for a couple of years, and then he stopped coming, and then it became my booth, and it's been my booth ever since. And I buy and sell collections all the time. Uh, but I do have a very distinct line between my personal collection and my card show inventory. So, um, you know, my, my personal collection doesn't come with me to, to card shows. So you had been doing card shows for 15, 16 years here, um, over, you know, since for the last 15 or 16 years. Um, and you don't sell much online there. Do you have an LCS, a strong LCS presence in your area? Do you utilize ComC or, you know, some of the other um, avenues? I do. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, my feedback ranking is like 3,500. I've been on there since 99. So not a lot of uh, transactions per year. But I, I'm very active on on eBay, mostly as a as a buyer. I do not enjoy the eBay seller experience, so I do have I, I've used consigners to sell cards for me. I have a few different people that I use uh, depending on what it is, and I I, I enjoy that because you know they charge you percent. Uh, that's you know maybe a few points more than what you pay eBay because they get the, the preferred rate, and you don't do any of the work. So I, I like that. ComC, I, I was an early adopter of ComC. I've been, I, well, maybe not the earliest, but I've been on ComC pretty heavily since 2013, I believe. I really, I really like ComC. I've liked it from the beginning. And uh, 
you know, I'm, I have an active Instagram account. I don't do a lot of buying and selling on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. But funny you ask, Mike, because on my, I had uh, the president of Upper Deck, Jason Mosher, on my show this, this past Saturday. And afterwards, yeah. for my late show, I'd never done this before. I said, well, I'm going to show you guys some cards that I'm taking to the expo. And I just started showing cards for two hours. And that led to me doing probably a dozen deals in the next nice. 24 hours. Very, very nice. Yeah, that was a great interview. I enjoyed hearing that conversation with them um, at Upper Deck. Definitely, if you have not heard it already, go check out Jeremy's conversation because because it was a good one. Put to, to put to bed some rumors that have been pretty persistent over the, the last several months for sure. So go check that out if you haven't heard it already. One of the things that I love about listening to your show because I'm going to be honest, I am not usually available when you're on live. I usually catch the podcast feed later. But one of the things that I enjoy hearing so much is your energy, your passion um, that, that you exude that comes through my earphones. And I'm sure through the screen for those watching live is, is contagious. Is that consistent with the rest of your life? Do you have this much passion and excitement for the other things that you're involved with day to day? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I mean, you know, my life consists of, of uh, my family. I have two young kids. So of course they're far, you know, they're, they're way ahead of the hobby for me, uh, obviously. Um, but you know, I've got my career, uh, not nearly as important or passionate about that as I am uh, for the hobby. And that, that's, that's it. I've got sports cards live, which is a part of the hobby. I've got the, the collecting and the community as well my job and my family. And, uh, you know, it goes, it goes, uh, family hobby job. Yeah. Yep. I, I would say that that is about the similar, similar ranking for me. Um, and I say that knowing that there's probably a few people from my job that are listening to this podcast, but, uh, I think they know that, that that's the situation for me as well. When it, when it really rubber meets the road, you have some great guests as well. And, you know, you talked about Carvin being one of your, your first guests. I had a chance to meet Carvin for the first time briefly at the industry summit here a couple months ago. Had you had these connections before the show started or are they purely a result of the show and you just reaching out or is it kind of a combination of both? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I've had a lot of people on from Upper Deck and that comes from just being, a, a, you know, a mainstay at the expo where they are as well. So, you know, Chris Carlin and Grant Sandground and uh, Mike Phillips, the EVP, and now the president, Jason Mashra. I'd never met Jason until I had him on the show, but everyone else I, I pretty much knew, um, you know, Steve Grad, I had him on early. He's the, you know, the lead authenticator for Beckett Authentication Services. And he's been yeah. on like 250 episodes of Pawn Stars. He's a personal friend of mine um, who I met through my brother several years ago. So he was an early guest. Um, other people like, you know, Ken Golden, actually, I, when, I had him on the show because I, I was doing an episode and he stumbled into the chat one night and started commenting, oh, Ken Golden's here. Hey, Ken, you sh I should have you on the show. Ah, sounds good, Jeremy. So, you know, he's been on the show now a couple of times. Um, you know, Tim Getch, the president, the founder of ComC, I've known him for years. Um, okay. we, we'd done business before. So, I mean, the list does go on and on, but people like, you know, Josh Luber, I just reached out and cold call people. Yep. Um, D DJ Ski cold called me. You know, I've I've had people now. It's at the beginning, Mike. It was um, every couple of every I don't know three or four weeks. I'd start to realize, okay, the calendar's empty. I got to go hustle some guests now. I don't have to hustle guests anymore. They they uh, they fall into my lap, which has really been um, hel helpful in terms of scheduling. 
I love how you've built such a passionate community. I mean, you know, you, you hear, you know, you, you announce who's in the, in the chat, who's coming and who's commenting. You share the, the feedback and the questions that your listeners are, are asking live during the show. And I love that, that you have such a passionate community. I mean, sometimes they take over and tell others to like and subscribe for you. So you don't even have to do that anymore. Was that a goal of doing a live show? or versus a recorded podcast? Or was that just kind of a happy byproduct of the way things have played out? It's completely a happy byproduct. I had no intention. I, when I did my first episode with Carvin, I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted to do, or I had no goal. I had no, um, no strategy or anything. I just, I just hit, I just hit go and let's see what happened. But really the credit for that approach goes to StreamYard, which is the platform for live streaming that I was one of the I was one of the earlier guys to use it, I, I think. Um, now a lot of now a lot of content creators are using it, of course. But StreamYard, I owe it to StreamYard, uh, because they enable that they make that possible. It's so easy, you just you see the comment street stream coming on, on your screen, you click on the comment, it's it goes on the screen for everybody to see. So they just they really enabled that. And um, I just feel like I don't want to sit there and talk at people. That's no fun. I want to talk to people. So having a guest is great. But I've been saying from early on, at the end of every, uh, you know, when you write your description for the episode, I always say, you know, please join us. Your comments and questions are in play. And, uh, you know, I try to really stick to that. Yeah, I really like how you, you know, you make sure that people know that that's coming. You get started. You take a few seconds to recognize some of the folks who have shown up. You call them out during the the midst of the conversation. I think that really helps people keep engaged, and uh, it really stands out. I mean, that's something that stands out to me. So, um, kudos to to the way that's going. I think it's a reflection of of the the excitement that, that you're generating through those conversations. You know, you're in, you have the two shows each each night. Typically, your your main show, then the after hours show. You've now started a follow up show with uh, Collectible, right? Um, as a as, as a partner, you're a part of the hobby hotline. Multiple things going on, plus all of the selling and shows that you're going to visit and, and sell at the card shows that you're going to visit and sell at. Talk to me a few minutes about about approaching that balance of your day job, your family, and card stuff. I know we had talked about the priorities of the ranking a couple minutes ago, but as you've found yourself more and more ingrained and more and more involved. Are there specific things that you're doing to, to put that intentionality and keep that hierarchy in the right mix and in the right order? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, first of all, the pandemic has been helpful because there's not many more things to do. So, you know, Saturday night, I'm, you know, my wife isn't asking me if we can, if, if we can, or if, 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 you know, or telling me we're going out for dinner with, with our friends, you know, right. um, we haven't had to do that or we haven't gotten to do that in a, in a very long time. There was actually probably about six or seven weeks ago, we did have plans on a Saturday. And so I did the show on Friday instead. I have a very, very patient and understanding wife who's got her, who's very busy, has her own interests. And, um, you know, we have a real good partnership going. So she's very supportive and knows that I'm passionate about it and, and that I, I enjoy it. So, and my, the other thing that works in my favor is my kids are young. Like that's why my show starts. I started at 10 o'clock Eastern, which is eight o'clock mountain where it, which is my time zone. 
my kids go to bed at about, you know, between seven, seven 30 there, you know, my, my, I have a two and a half and a four and a half year old. So, so there's no, uh, there's no real overlap there with my kids. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, the, taking on the collectible show, which, you know, the uh, they contracted me to host the show on Sunday, uh, late afternoon, early evenings. And that it, at first it was a bit of a, a bit of a, it, it took a lot of time to prepare. I wanted to do it well. You know, I didn't want to just do it and, and kind of willy nilly. And so I spent many hours preparing for the first few episodes. Now I can, I can prepare quicker. So, you know, when my, my daughter's usually out at my mother's for the weekend and my son is uh, having his nap. So that's when I do the preparation and um, you know, a couple nights a week, I hang out with my wife and the rest of the time I'm hobbying. So Speaking of, you know, kind of the show and where things are, are going, where things have gone, some of the, the feedback that you've gotten along the way and the, the popularity that, that you've seen so far, um, you know, you've talked from time to time about through the, the platform, I think through the YouTube platform, people are able to kind of contribute or donate um, and that type of thing. Kind of, do you have, or could you share kind of your vision for where you want the show to head is is kind of expanding your reach and and bringing in kind of the show as as both a, a way to entertain and educate but also as kind of an additional revenue stream is that part of your your long-term vision or your long-term plan too or is is that another just kind of happy byproduct and that's not really one of the, the angles you're looking to intentionally grow yeah. So when I set out to do this uh, again, I had no strategy, no vision, no end game, no goal, just one week at a time. Let's see how it goes and try to always uh, do better. Try to always improve something about the show. So as it started to catch on and I got more and more uh, viewers, more and more engagement and you know, the, the caliber of guests that I was able to attract um, I, I had, I had somebody ask me, say, hey, would you consider having a sponsor? And I said, oh, I didn't really think about that. I said, yeah, but I, th I think I'd consider it. Sure. I mean, why not? You know, I'm doing this right. anyway. Um, why not? If you want to give me money, okay. Right. You know, but it's important to me to align with, with uh, individuals and entities that I'm okay aligning with. That I don't mind, you know, hitching my, my horse to, if you will, that to their carriage sort of thing. And, you know, that's, there has been some controversy in that even uh, as far as my, my alliances have gone, but in any event, um, it became, it be, I, I've had some conversations with people, you know, close people to me about, you know, maybe I could generate revenue doing this because this first, uh, it, it was the big three hockey was my first sponsor. And I was so flattered that he, that he thought that I was worth, worth, uh, paying to, you know, to endorse him. And he's somebody I know, and I was willing to do it. And, um, and he said, he, he said to me, he goes, yeah, I kind of feel like I said, like, wh why do you want to, why me? You know, why? He goes, well, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm getting in really early on like a Joe Rogan podcast sort of thing. You seem to be like the Joe Rogan of the hobby or something. I, and I thought to myself, well, I, I know who Joe Rogan is. I don't listen to his podcast, but I know who he is. That's pretty cool. So then I started to think, okay, so what, if I do that, what's the strategy? Because I didn't want to align myself with a grading company. I didn't want to align myself with a card company as far as a, uh, a formal sponsorship or partnership. So I had to be really picky with, uh, with who I did align with. And I didn't align with anybody else for a while, but a couple of things evolved. So I, I am aligned with PWCC and that was a totally organic, uh, 
partnership that arrived because what happened was it was February of this year, earlier this year, and the hockey auctions were about to end one night. And I had a whole bunch on my watch list and I was going to buy some cards. And I thought to myself, listen, it's always so much fun to watch the cards end. I'm going to go live tonight and just share my screen and watch the cards end and see if people join. Well, I had like that episode had like 2000 views and I had like over a hundred people watching at a give at any given time. And so that told me that this is content people want. I love doing it. It's so much fun for me. So I did it again in March. I did it again in April. I did it again in May. And then they introduced their premier auction. And I thought, oh, I'll do the premier auction too. Did the premier auction. Now I'm on their radar, right? Now they know what I'm doing because I'm on Instagram and, uh, and that and all that. So we ended up talking. And um, so now they became a, a sponsor of the of those episodes too, you know, because I'm, I'm bringing attention to them through my through my channel, my audience. So that's how that started. It was totally organic. And, um, and at the end of the day, don't tell them, but I would do it for free, because I just, you know, it's got nothing to do with them or who they are. It's got to do with I watch their auctions go off. So if anyone wants to watch with me, come join the party. Let's, let's spend a second talking about that. That's one of the things that I've had uh, a question about myself, that, that sometimes I have a hard time reconciling um, that conversation. So PWCC, you know, as, as an organization has had some questions or there's some questionable activities right over the last few years that they've been connected to um you know they've got their side of the story other people have their side of the story we've seen emails or tweets and uh, other text messages and things like that come out um the whole ebay scenario that that has recently gone on at the same time there's a lot of transactions that have taken place. They have a lot of customers and people who are connected as, as consigners with them. And it, you know, it's a broad ecosystem too. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts, right. But due to some of those um, questionable activities, I've had a hard time putting my support behind them or, or, or feeling comfortable in, in doing business with them and other people, it seems to, to not be an issue at all. I just question, how, how have you approached that? Or how have you thought about that kind of dichotomy, right? Of, of them as a large, big player in the hobby with some of these other questions that have been, been raised about um, some of their past business practices. How, how have you thought about that? Because that, for me, I have a hard time thinking through some of those types of issues and and making sense of that of all of that does, does that make sense at all oh yeah i mean there are all sorts like they have a reputation uh among some people there are all sorts of perceptions i've been i've been buying and selling through them for years and years um, i've met all the people on the team at the national over the years i've met brent i've met betsy i've met you know, the, the staff, uh, you know, the senior staff and that over the years. And um, they've been nothing but very good to deal with for me. Uh, so, you know, then you see a, a text message or something like that, that came that was from 2016 or 2017, whenever it was from that, 
that people keep on bringing back to the surface. And I understand that, you know, people want, want everybody to be held accountable. And I, and I, I do too. Um, so yeah, that, that is a, that's, that's a tougher one, but I'm a second chances sort of guy. And I also, I also, you know, there's a lot of, you said questionable activities that there are questioned activities. There's a lot of things that are questioned out there, but I haven't seen any evidence yet, even on the, on them being, uh, you know, removed from eBay. I haven't seen any evidence of what this shill bidding was. They, you know, eBay said it was associates of PWCC. Well, everybody, in my opinion, everybody who has ever consigned a card to PWCC is an associate of them. And it makes sense to me that consigners would shill their own auctions because, because they're the ones who stand to benefit the most, I believe. So now the, is, the, is PWCC taking, is their reputation being hit because of that? Probably. But I think every consigner on eBay, every consignment company on eBay, and there are other big ones, you know, ProbeScene being a huge one as well. There's no doubt in my mind that the consigners to these consignment companies are, are shilling their own auctions through their friend's account or, or calling someone or, or a cousin three states away, whatever it is. Hey, throw a bid in here. Like, how hard is that to do? It's not hard to do at all. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where knowing the people, you know, if a mistake was made, well, or, you know, assuming an, a mistake was made, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't in the hobby's best interest. Um, I don't, I don't think that like, I'm not, I'm not personally willing to, um, you know, to, to just completely throw them, uh, cast them aside because of one mistake. And maybe there's more, I understand that as well, but there's a lot of people that work there, a lot of good people that work there. And I don't, I don't see I, I just never understood the incentive for them to, to do the shilling themselves. It never made sense to me why they would do that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, I go on, I'm still, you know, doing business with them. I'm covering their premier auction once a month. They now started their monthly. I'm covering, I, I'm covering the hockey night and the basketball night. I might even start doing the baseball night. Uh, we'll, we'll see. So now all that said, if eBay, does publicize evidence that proves that the owners of PWCC or senior management of PWCC are are were, were shilling auctions? I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna like default my contract right away. I mean, there's there's no way I'm going to keep on doing business with them if that is if that is proven, uh, you know, overtly and comes to light for the for public uh, consumption. Yeah, there's just so much about it that is, it's fascinating to me, to be honest, right? Like it's, um, I have a hard time believing that eBay would take action like that willy-nilly without evidence, but it's also fascinating to hear PWCC say that eBay has yet to provide them with what that evidence was, right? And and that makes me question it a little bit too, right? Is like, you know, I have a hard time believing eBay is going to take this action with no evidence, but it's also interesting that they wouldn't tell one of their largest sellers what that evidence was that, that they say that they found. So it's, like I said, it's just a, a fascinating scenario to me 
lot of questions. Um, and so I appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on it. Um, cause it's, it, that's one of those that I, I still have a hard time reconciling in, in my own mind. Yeah. So I appreciate you and taking the time. If I may just add one of my, one of my perceptions is that a lot of the public hobby, um, assumes they come to the conclusion that that PWCC is shilling their auctions because PWCC gets more for their auctions than other auction houses do. And I believe that to be true, but I don't believe that that's only because of shilling. I think shilling might be five to 10% of the, of that effect. And the rest is they're great marketers. They have great auction listings and they have the best cards. And a lot of people trust them and have for 10 or 10 plus years and bid on their auctions exclusively. I mean, I've bid on their auctions for a long time, I look forward to their auctions ending on eBay, or I, I used to look forward to their auctions ending on eBay all the time. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not somebody who is going to um, come to a conclusion on anything because everybody's saying it's happening. And, you know, people love to, people love to hate on them and that's, that's fine. And you know what, if, like I said, if there is, um, oh, I'll just say this too, you know, I don't know Probstein, Rick Probstein at all. I've never met him or, or talked to him. I buy from him all the time. I've never sold through him, but I would. Um, but, you know, I see his auctions, the same cards, you know, that sell at, at auction and they're, they're relisted, 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 relisted. And he's, he's doing fine on eBay. So there's, that really makes me question eBay's motives, why they would take that action against PWCC and not Probstein and not anyone else. I just don't understand that. And for that reason, I'm not, you know, I, when I say I don't understand it, I'm not, I'm not saying that I believe that Probstein is up to no good. I don't. I think his consigners are probably up to no good. But so, I mean, th that's really where, where I stand on it. You know, um, if I didn't have personal relationships with some people there who I've met over the years, it might be a little bit different. But I know, I know the people there, uh, some of the people there and they're good, they're good people. So I'm not willing to throw the whole company under the bus and put all these people out of work just because the hobby or some people in the hobby, um, you know, have, have, uh, judged them to be guilty without any evidence. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I guess I would say that I'm, I'm somebody who is patient and I'm interested to see how things play out. Um, you know, some of these, allegations stem multiple years, you know, back. And, and we're, and we just saw eBay take action now here in 2021. It would not surprise me if, if um, we see something similar from Probstein in, in coming years based on the same kind of path or trajectory or, or types of things that are being reported, especially with some of the stuff that you had just said, where we see the same card being relisted multiple times week after week after week. So We'll, we'll see how things play out. I appreciate you taking some time to, to share. I think it's one of those, one of those questions that I think is, is on everybody's mind and, um, or on, on many people's minds. And one of those things that we have to think through is, is how do you balance holding people accountable? But like you said, you can't hold somebody accountable without actual tangible evidence too. And you need, you need that full picture to really, to really, um, see what's going on. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes there. Uh, let's, let's change gears a little bit and talk about these last couple of years of growth in the, in the broad hobby and, and what we've seen the hobby do here over the last couple of years, 
you had talked earlier about being a, a starting with being a, a hockey collector. You talk on your shows about hockey still being a huge, probably primary focus of, of your collection. Still at this point, we just heard in the last couple of weeks that the NHL and the NHLPA has renewed their um, partnership with Upper Deck. There was a lot of speculation from what we had seen through the other sports about what the future of hockey and the future of Upper Deck might look like. How did that land for you? I know you talked with with the folks at Upper Deck about what they felt when they heard that news, but what did you feel when you heard the news that Upper Deck was going to continue their relationship with the NHL and, and still be the partner for hockey cards? I felt secure. I felt secure in my future collecting because I like Upper Deck's cards. I like the look and feel. I like the designs. Um, so I just felt good that, and I like the people there. It's another case where I have relationships at Upper Deck. It's good people working hard, trying their best, and they get crapped on all the time, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I just felt good knowing that, uh, that you know, this, this big, scary fanatics, and I say that tongue in cheek, because I do look forward to seeing what they do, um, that they didn't come and get hockey too. And so we'll, we'll be able to, and that may, you know, that may be a, a bad thing down the road. Maybe Fanatics does a better job uh, with cards than Upper Deck does. Time, time will tell. But I just felt good knowing that, you know, the brands that I've come to love are going to continue on, um, you know, into the future. And I was happy for my friends at Upper Deck who work there, because I know there, there were obviously some, un, there was some uncertainty there since that announcement. So um, yeah, I was just, I was just glad to hear it. Uh, you know, I've been collecting hockey, like I'm Canadian, I'm in Canada, I've been collecting hockey cards my whole life, really since like 1979 or 80. And, um, but I do collect all the other sports I collect, I collect all sorts of cards, not not just hockey, I, I love basketball, baseball, football, I've got some Tony Hawks, you know, I've got, I got some boxing, um, some music cards and etc. Do you have any projects that you're working on now? Any kind of primary focuses that you're looking to acquire? Not really, Mike. Like I, uh, my, my biggest, the longest sort of project I've had in the hobby uh, for coll collecting has been Hall of Fame rookies. It started, it started in 1989 when I decided I was going to collect the rookie card of every thousand point man in NHL history, which at the time was like, I don't know, 55 players. Now it's over 80. I had that complete years ago. I no longer have it complete, but I had it complete at one time. And then I, 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 I expanded out into Hall of Fame, all sports. And I've managed to put together over the years a pretty comprehensive collection of Hall of Fame rookies from all four sports. And, you know, I'm only missing a few of the big players at this point in time. And um, so that's kind of my longest project. But I have others, a few sets here and there that I collect. Um, I like, I like nineties inserts. I like, I collect Michael Jordan. I collect Shaquille O'Neal, collect Ken Griffey Jr. Like, you know, these are the guys that went, you know, in the nineties, I'm in my twenties and these are the players that I was uh, watching and a fan of, and uh, you know, chasing their cards back then. So um, the second half of the nineties, Mike is kind of like the one, the one era of my life where I wasn't as focused on cards as I was the rest of my life. I've been like cards dominated my life literally from like 82 until today, uh, except for that second half of the nineties where I wasn't out of the hobby, but I wasn't, I wasn't like buying packs and stuff. So I missed that era. And now it's like my favorite era. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. Why don't you uh, take a second to let people know where they can find you and where they can find the show. Sure. 
Thank you, Mike. Um, well, my show is called Sports Cards Live on YouTube. So invite everybody to come check it out and uh, subscribe and like and all those things. Um, I do. I go live Saturday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern uh, the, for the early show. It's late, but it's early for me. And, uh, you know, have, I, I, I like to, I explain it this way. I bring on industry insiders, passionate collectors, and, con and other content creators as, uh, as interviewees. And then I go on uh, after that show again with usually another uh, person uh, to, I go, the late show, I don't consider as much of an interview as a conversation. I just want to be relaxed and have a, a chat, talk hobby, engage, engage with the, the chat and the audience. So that's uh, on my channel. Uh, Sundays at seven o'clock Eastern, I host Collectible Live for, for Collectible, the fractional ownership company. And um, that's on their YouTube channel. It's, it's, uh, it's basically youtube.com slash collectible app app that's uh where you can find that show along with the rest of their their uh content and i'm also a co-host on a hobby hotline I, I go on once every once a month on saturday morning at uh, 11 o'clock eastern and um host on there so um that's where you can find me it's on all the pod all the podcast platforms i'm on instagram jay lee underscore sports cards live and i have a twitter account at sports cards liv1 and now, like you, Mike, I've got TikTok happening too. There you go. Sports Cards go. Live. Yeah. TikTok is is where it's at. It's been amazing to see the growth that that TikTok has brought. Um, it's interesting and it's I have a lot of fun with it. So um it, it's been it's been good. So hopefully it, it treats you as well. But yeah, man, I appreciate you uh having me on and uh the conversation. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Again, check out Jeremy and his show. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. The Sports Card Shop is your small town local card shop with a global reach. Located in New Buffalo, Michigan, the shop is one of the most accessible in the Midwest. In addition to being an authorized Panini direct dealer, the Sports Card Shop carries all major trading card brands, including Tops, Upper Deck, Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh!, and more. With all that new wax, a half million singles, and showcases full of graded cards, you're sure to find something great for your collection, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned collector. The Sports Card Shop is your one-stop shop. So call us, come see us, or visit us on the web and social media. Our phone number is 269-469-0140. Website is thesportscardshop at moco.com. The Sports Card Shop is part of the MoCo Retail Group, connecting sports, the hobby, and people around the world. Well, thanks again to Jeremy for coming on. I had a great conversation with him. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I hope you had a lot of fun listening. If you enjoyed that conversation, would you consider helping me spread the word by telling a friend about the show? I would really appreciate it. I'm having a lot of fun recording these conversations and interacting with all of you who reach out throughout the week. And so I would love to continue to build this community. Well, that's all I've got for you today. So I'll catch you next time.